0: Belgium presents. We all have that elder, you know, like an auntie, a friend, a parent, who drops wisdom on us and changes the course of our lives. This season, I'm talking to 15 incredible people about important moments they went through and how the elders in their lives got them through it. I'm your host, Jenny Yang, and this is Going Through It. This week, Kelly Marie Tran.
1: When I realized my dad was being shamed for making an honest living, I think I realized that everything is sort of bullshit. Like, we are celebrating the wrong things. And, um, yeah, I think that that experience with my dad really taught me that we live in a sort of upside-down world that attaches value to
0: numbers, and I don't want to live that way. Today, I'm talking to my good friend, Kelly Marie Tran, and I'm just going to say it. She is the hardest working woman in Hollywood. <laughs> now, you might know Kelly as the voice of the first Southeast Asian Disney princess in Raya and the Last Dragon, or as Rose Tico in Star Wars Episode 8: The Last Jedi, But I know Kelly from a humble, improvised comedy class back in 2011. Just comedy babies back then. I was drawn to Kelly the first time I saw her. I mean, she was a fellow round Asian face of smiley energy. And we connected right away. You know, just two women from Asian immigrant families trying to make it in an industry that didn't always make it easy for us. Today's show is for anyone who has ever been underestimated. Like anyone who needs the courage to go against the status quo. The moment Kelly booked Star Wars, she booked conventions. Everyone obsessed over how relatable and unmovie star she was. Like she'd be doing press tours with Luke Skywalker himself, and just acting like she was lucky to be there.
1: And I just feel like I, I hope that I live up to this thing. <laughs> it feels like a big honor and a big responsibility at the same time. You know, I keep reminding myself that I just want to do this thing justice. So many people have loved this for so long, and um, man, I hope I don't mess that up.
0: (laughs) It was a dream come true until Kelly became a target of racist and misogynistic trolls who hated the mere existence of her as a Vietnamese actress in the franchise. So she went against the grain again and deleted all of her social media accounts just as her star was rising. Like, wow, no one does that, okay? And then, in a boss-ass move, Kelly wrote a powerful New York Times op-ed. She rejected the online hate, declared her mission to keep creating, and proclaimed her love for her Vietnamese and Asian American identity. I love her so much. I knew of Kelly's humble comedy beginnings and that her parents came to this country as refugees from Vietnam, but it wasn't until talking to her for this podcast that I learned how humble her beginning really was. Like. I didn't know that Kelly's dad worked at Burger King to provide for their family. Fast food jobs are some of the lowest paid jobs. And let's be honest, it's the kind of work that a lot of people turn into a punchline. So for Kelly, seeing her father be vulnerable about his work taught her a tough and valuable lesson about what it actually means to make it in America.
1: So... I remember when, yeah, I was a kid, my dad would wake up before any of us woke up. He'd wake up at four, he'd go to work, and then he'd be home after we all were home. So me as a kid, I just remember him working all the time and working really hard. His first job, when he came to the U.S., was really starting as a cashier at Burger King, and he sort of worked his way up and became the district manager of a sort of chain of Burger Kings. I remember thinking that the Burger King thing was so cool because we would get, like, cool toys. (laughs) And back then, Burger King had a contract with Disney before it switched to McDonald's, so we would get all the Disney toys, we had all these, like, little figures, and that was, like, obviously huge. And then I got into middle school and I sort of, I really hate admitting this, but I think that I had a lot of shame about what my dad did. I mean, you know, you're in middle school and you're just like awkward and you just want to be liked and you want to be accepted. And there was a lot of classism that existed in the specific neighborhood that I grew up in. My parents sort of saved every penny to get to a place where we could afford to live in that neighborhood, but we were by no means wealthy in that neighborhood.
0: Slowly, Kelly became ashamed of her father's job. And not because anyone told her to be, but it was the little things that added up. Like one time in middle school, when her classmate came over to work on a project.
1: I was doing this science project with this girl Amanda and we were testing pH levels of water in different bodies of water in the community and I remember one day her dad came to pick her up from our house and you know he was talking to my dad and they were sort of having this conversation. I remember them laughing and having a good time talking to each other and then I like ran upstairs to get
0: some stuff and you know putting I don't know coloring books or whatever I was getting together. While Kelly was upstairs the dads talked about jobs and Kelly's dad mentioned that he worked a burger and then it was like not cool Mm -hmm. and
1: it there was a heaviness sort of in the atmosphere and i mean even if i didn't know to feel shame about what my dad did after that moment i did do you know what I mean? Ooh, yes. Because suddenly you're like, oh, this is weird. I've just been taught that that I should feel weird about this. But as soon as Amanda's dad had left, I remember my dad looking at me and just like being really confused. So my dad just said, Kelly, I don't understand why people think that I should feel shame for the job that I'm working He said that he didn't cheat. He didn't lie. He didn't steal. He was working a job at Burger King, but a job that was honest and a job that provided for his family. And yet he had had this interaction with my friend's dad that sort of made him feel like he was doing something wrong. And I mean, I understood the concept of that because I, too, had felt this sort of weird shame around sharing what my dad did for a living. And I didn't really understand where it came from. And to hear my dad say that and to also understand that he, as an adult who came from a different country and was doing everything that he could and doing everything in a very honest way, being taught that he needed to feel shame because he was doing it a way that society didn't accept Mm -hmm. was so, so strange to me because... I was in sixth grade. Yeah. And it was one of the first times my my dad was really vulnerable with me, I think. And I think he was just processing because I don't think he even understood.
0: When did you realize that that incident was significant?
1: So, I mean, I think, if I'm being honest— I didn't recognize the significance of that moment and many other moments like that until I was probably in my mid-20s when I got to the point where I was, you know, I graduated from college and I was fully financially supporting myself. I was paying for my car insurance, for my rent, for my health insurance, for my student loans, all of these things. And then I really started to understand what my dad said about making an honest living and how hard it was and how what an accomplishment it is just to do that. I think that's when I really started to question the things that we're taught to
0: have shame about. So your dad's question to you about why he isn't being respected for his job at the time didn't make you really change anything. No, not at all. It did. If anything, it reinforced the kind of shame you might have about how different your parents were. compared to your other friend's parents. Yeah. And so how do you think your identity informed how you reacted? My relationship with my identity as an Asian
1: woman is very complicated because it is something I was born into, and I, I don't have a choice in the matter, if that makes sense. And I am really proud of who I am. But that question is complicated because, on the one hand, Every experience I will ever have will be seen through that filter. And not necessarily because it's me projecting that, but it's because the way the world sees me and the way that the world treats me due to that identity. I can't hide that. And so, yeah, I think that that played a really big part in every experience. And that absolutely played a part in, in the way that I reacted. I don't want to stereotype about a group of people. Um, But I will say the way that I reacted has a lot to do with the way that I grew up and the way that I was taught to be in this world. Which is hell. Which is silent.
0: it's so sad to me
1: (laughs) (laughs) it is really sad and it's taken me a lot of years to get to the point where i can actually speak out about things Mm. and i can actually uh stand up for myself yeah and it's you know so much of the way we interact in the world is subconsciously the way that the world taught us to act and Unlearning those things and really digging into yourself and, and figuring out the ways in which the system has taught you to be is exhausting and vital. It's something that I am still working on every day. But yeah, I, I think that my identity played a lot into that experience, especially because I was 12 and, and didn't have the words that I have now. You know, I think. We are now living in this world where there's sort of a lot of shared vocabulary for things and experiences that when we were kids, we didn't necessarily have. Things like microaggression, gaslighting, these terms that we all mm. can use and we all immediately know what they mean. I just remember as a kid feeling weird and yeah. not not knowing why. So I think once I got into my mid-20s and I was able to see that situation differently, it changed my life in many ways. I think it started me on sort of an avalanche of asking questions. Instead of just accepting the way that things were and these sort of things that I thought were just truths. And then I started to recognize that these things aren't truths. They're just the status quo. And figuring out that I can ask questions and, and ask why things are the way they are. And also be part of the change if, if things need to change. I think that reframing that specific moment for me was sort of the beginning of all of that. It's kind of wild, too. You know, it's it's uh, sixth grade was a long time ago. And, and to still remember that very specific moment and still reflect on it. It's a big deal.
0: <laughs> it's a huge deal. I mean, I always wonder, like, what was it that made you not just go with the flow and go with what's expected? And this was one of those moments. You actually realize that, like, you can question things. And that's huge. I feel like not everyone gets that moment. But now you realize how much this tiny, tiny thing actually affected you. I think it just goes to show how much uh, of an effect your dad had on you. He did what it took. And
1: it makes me sad to think that he didn't feel like he could celebrate coming from, you know, a war-torn country, leaving his family for two decades, raising his little brothers, and then getting to a place where we had a house that we grew up in and we always had food on the table. And we had really good places to go to school. We were driven to school every day. Like, the things that he was doing from where he started were essentially impossible things. And yet, here he was. In the situation where he was being compared to someone who probably
0: started a lot further down the line. Yes, absolutely. Wait, So then, like, what were some of the beliefs that you started to question in your early 20s? Well, I remember specifically graduating high school and
1: going to community college, and it was so looked down upon at my school. I remember teachers even coming really? to me and saying things like... Kelly, why are, why are you doing that? You could do so much better. People thinking that I was going to have no future because apparently community college was only for, quote, like, bad kids. And you're going to end up in a ditch somewhere? Yeah, yeah, essentially. And I remember, again, feeling shame because this was all coming from authority figures and people who I was taught that I need to listen to. The joke was that once I got to community college— I was like, oh, these are just kids who have to help their parents also pay rent while they're going to school. And it's just a very different experience. And the joke of it all was that once I had transferred to UCLA, I recognized that my education at the community college was better than the classes I took at UCLA. I mean, listen, (laughs) but do you know what I'm saying? Like this idea of status and this idea of labels and names and being able to say a brand that's recognizable, I i don't think that that—maybe sometimes it's valid, but for my experience, it was not. And I am very angry mm. that— as a young 18-year-old woman, I was looked down upon because I decided to go to a community college. Like, it was my friends, it was my principal, my teachers looking at me like I was doing something insane. And when I got there and and realized that everyone was wrong, that was really the first sort of pivot. Mm. And I started realizing Oh, maybe I'm not the crazy one. Maybe everyone else is crazy, to use an improv rule. And I think that that was the first time I broke from
0: the, quote, path. Yeah. And this sort of thing that had been set for me. Yeah, what's socially acceptable, what's a higher status easy-to-brag-about way of life.
1: Yes, and thank yeah. God, because if I hadn't done that, I would never have pursued acting, and I, ne- I would not be sitting here with you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, it, it, yeah, it was a journey, for sure.
0: I mean, you know, you, you have to, at some point, there needs to be a shift. If you grew up being told that you need to be, to walk a very respectable, orthodox path, Right. There always has to be some kind of shift to happen so that you can actually break free and be creative.
1: Yeah, I'm so I'm so grateful for that now. Um, But looking back, it's kind of wild because I remember all the shame that I had. Mm. And now I'm like, what are you guys doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Fools, (laughs) (laughs) I I love this idea of you realizing that you can question the status quo of like how we see things and how we treat each other. Because I have lived vicariously and lived for your experiences. Like once you got these big jobs, like you know Star Wars episodes eight and nine, or even Raya. Like I love seeing how sort of unorthodox Kelly, who doesn't care about what people think as much, like has managed to then live in that new culture like in that new context of Hollywood. You know, can you tell me how you've been able to free yourself from doing what's expected? So
1: I think growing up as a kid who was taught to sort of fall in line and really follow all the rules and then become a person who is working in this industry, it took me a while to, first of all, even know what the rules were
0: Uh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then to get to the point where i was absolutely willing to break them yeah and i think i also had a lot of shame in my early 20s you know i i had shame about wanting to be an actor i had shame about wanting to do something that was so impossible there was a lot of sort of imposter syndrome of me being like why me like i can't do this i'm i'm such an average looking asian woman like you know all these things that you tell yourself And now, of course, I know that those are all lies and that, you know, I'm comparing myself to a very specific Western standard of beauty when I say those things about myself. But back then, I didn't know those things. I think when I first when I first got episode eight, I was very scared of doing anything wrong. Mm. I was so afraid of losing that job. I was so afraid of I mean, I didn't. God, I really didn't know how anything worked. It was like, you know, those YouTube videos of a baby who puts on glasses for the first time and like looks at the world and you realize, oh, that baby (gasps) needed glasses.
0: That's kind of
1: of how it was for me. Like, I was just like, oh, I don't know. There's just a lot of stimulation happening. I don't know what's going on. Um, What I find strange about this industry is there's this sort of expectation sometimes that... You're going to walk into a room and people will sort of cater to you. I never grew up that way. Ooh. I grew up where, like, you know, I walk into a room and I was taught to cater to other people. And so I have always been taught to provide for myself because no one's going to do that for you. And so... I try to walk into every room with that expectation. Like, I deserve to be here. I have important things to say. But at the same time, I'm not going to expect everyone to cater to me or to provide me with something. Like, I can also provide things for myself. And I think I've gotten to this point now. I mean, it's been years. But I've gotten to this point now where I, I really have just become confident in the things that I want and the types of stories that I want to tell. and. I I think that change has been gradual. Um, and I don't think I can really point to one experience to as like the stepping stone. But I will say starting as an actress and now also being a producer has absolutely changed the way that I look at this industry. And I'm also not afraid to ask for things that I didn't even know I could ask for it before. And it's not even, like, anything outlandish. It's just me being like, oh, I'm doing a movie about Southeast Asia. I'd really love to have representation in terms of the journalists that I talk to. and Mm. Like, just, like, things like that. And now I'm really being thoughtful about or trying to be as thoughtful as possible when it comes to every single choice that I make. Because I'm recognizing that whether I like it or not, my journey is very public and if it's going to be public, I might as well say something while I'm going through it. Um, mm-hmm. I like
0: that. that so, yeah. Somehow your way of um, no longer just going along with the status quo included claiming your self-worth by asking for what you want, but also still countering what the expectation <laughs> is of a star or talent, yeah. right, where you don't need other people to do everything for you. When I realized... My dad was being shamed for
1: making an honest living. I think I realized that everything is sort of bullshit. <laughs> like, we are celebrating the wrong things. I don't want people to respect me because I'm associated with these sort of, like, bigger properties. I want people to respect me because I am really trying to invest in populations that have historically been marginalized, so that they too can have a megaphone to make important, radical, revolutionary art. Mm. Like... I think that we live in a world that celebrates very specific capitalistic ideas, you know, and um, yeah, I think that that experience with my dad really taught me that we live in a sort of upside down world that celebrates, attaches value to numbers. And I don't want to live that way.
0: What does making an honest living mean to you now?
1: I always wanted to be in a position where I was able to tell important stories and make radical, revolutionary art that changed people's perceptions. And I think I'm doing that now. Like, I I feel very proud of, of what I'm involved in. So yeah, I think for me, that's what making an honest living means.
0: Y'all, I love Kelly so much. Kelly Marie Trant is the best. We have come so far together. I mean, listen, radical revolutionary art, yes. When I met Kelly back in 2011, I was still working in my first career in politics and feeling super burned out as a labor organizer. I was only a year into doing stand-up comedy and taking this improv class with Kelly after work was my little oasis in a job that did not make me happy. I was so sad. Without people like Kelly, comedy spaces were bleak. Every open mic and show felt like a suck hole of young white dudes recycling the same hack jokes about weed and self-pleasure that I could never relate to. Please write better weed and self-pleasure jokes. So whenever I'd encounter an Asian American in the Los Angeles comedy scene, I'd always try to befriend them. It was an act of survival. Finding people like Kelly kept me going in a culture and an industry that tried to shame me for being Asian American. You know, that told me I had to be the butt of the joke rather than the author of my own story. When I think about how people try to shame Kelly's father, and even Kelly herself when she was in Star Wars, I think about all the chances Kelly had to quit on her dreams. But thank God she didn't. I hope everyone can appreciate Kelly's story because we've all been there. We've all been made to feel like we're not good enough. And... What her story shows us is that we all have the power to not internalize that shame. We can turn that around and say, it is the world that needs to change, and I will be a part of that change. Going Through It is an original podcast created in partnership with MailChimp and Pineapple Street Studios. Executive producers for Going Through It are J. Ann Berry, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Our managing producer is Agarenesh Ashagre. This season is produced by the all-star team of Sophia Steiner-Evoy, Emerald O'Brien, and Yinka rickford Enguin. And we're edited by the irreplaceable Aaron Edwards. We're engineered to perfection, or very close to it, by Davey Sumner. Our theme music was produced by Raj Makhitya. Dawood Anthony also produced original music for this season with additional tunes from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson des Rochers. Extra special thanks to Himia Freeman for his support on this production. And of course, the biggest thanks to my own elders for everything and for being the inspiration behind the show. Mom, Dad, Margaret Cho, Tracy Katokiriyama, Keiko Agena, tim sams gina lu gong kwan feng michelle ko and so many more and thanks in general to my loud-ass partner Corey higgs for staying quiet in the house for me and thank you for listening